Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless you. We appreciate your generosity. Thank you for that musical reprise. As we get into the Word of God this morning, I want to ask you to join with me in the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, if you would join me there. I just want to uh, once again express my uh, gratitude for God's people uh, that are here and some of you that are joining us online on the live stream. We uh, cannot underestimate, uh, we cannot overestimate how much your ministry means to us and how much uh, we appreciate all that God is doing through you. This is truly a body of Christ, and uh, a body cannot function with only one member. In other words, uh, your body, the reason that you can have good health is because all of the members of your body are working together in unison, and, uh, and if one member of your body starts malfunctioning, uh, it has bad consequences, right? And in the same way, in the church, uh, we are many different members, many diverse uh, skin colors, backgrounds, socioeconomic uh, stratus, and many, many things that uh, would, would cause us to be different, and yet in Christ, we can all come together for one purpose in the kingdom of God, and so I'm grateful for that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, you found yourself here in the potter's house on a great Sunday. Uh, because I, uh, God was dealing with me to, uh, to do uh, somewhat of a, an expository sermon series. And so uh, for the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to be preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, what I love about this, we don't always do expository messages, but uh, what that means is we take... Uh, the, the Word of God as it comes to us, line by line, verse by verse. And what I'm always amazed at when we do that is how the Lord is so provident and so sovereign that the, the very things that you and I are living through and dealing with and grappling with in our lives become the things that, that God deals with us in each scripture. So, let me ask you this question. How many of you perhaps played uh, football or other sports in uh, high school? Got a few hands. All right. So uh, I had a great time when I was in middle school. Uh, I was in the Pender grade of eighth grade. And uh, I tried out for my uh, junior high football team back in Arizona. Let me just give you some advice. If you find yourself living in Arizona, uh, don't try out for the football team. It was horrible. So uh, beginning with, uh, you know, uh, summer uh, heat in Arizona, 115 
uh, just we were there a couple of weeks ago, they were breaking records, 120 degrees, and they say, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Don't matter. It's like a, like a blow dryer in your face uh, at all hours of the day. So here I am at the tender young age of 13, 14 years old, trying out for junior high uh, in the middle of the pit of hell. And I had a great time um, until I realized that I wasn't very good at it. Uh, the coach made me a tackle dummy, and I never really graduated beyond that point. And so for the entire season, I remained uh, third string special teams only. Uh, I would get out whenever there was a kick. I would run down the field, uh, aiming at nothing in particular, and then I would run back to the sidelines. It was a great season, let me tell you. But uh, one thing I do remember distinctly about those uh, practice sessions in middle school, something that still sticks with me to this day, is that the coach, the coaching staff, would have certain, uh, certain activities for the whole team to be involved with. You know, on a football team, there's many different uh, positions, and so many times you have your team split up into different groups. But there was a few things that we would all do together. And one of them was running. Now, I was never a big fan of running, as you might be able to tell. And so uh, the, the, the practice was that the coaches would want us to do 10 laps around the football field, 10 laps around the football field. And the thing about that was that we were not done running until the slowest guy went around 10 times. So when you have that, as a rule, uh, what begins to happen, you know, those members of the football team which are uh, more speedy, uh, better runners, you could say the running backs or the wide receivers, uh, maybe the tight ends, and, and some of those guys, you know, they can finish 10 laps in, you know, 10 minutes. But uh, there's a few guys that couldn't, couldn't go that fast. There was a few, uh, you know, some of those big linemen and centers and tackles and some of those guys trotting around, and they would take two or three times the amount of time as the fastest guy. And what we learned about that back then, something that is valuable to us today, is that the team is no faster than its slowest member. Everybody got that? The team is no faster than its slowest member. Well, I want to say that here in the church of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, we are a body. In other words, you don't have the option to leave a piece of your body at home to come to church this morning, or at least most of us don't. Uh, you know, you can't leave your left leg at home so that you can go to church. It's either all or nothing, right? You are all in. You are, uh, you're going to take every piece of yourself with you wherever you go. And you are no faster than your slowest member. Does that make sense to everybody? In the church of Jesus Christ, we are a body. We are many members. We are many different uh, backgrounds. As I said before, different uh, skin colors, different uh, wealth levels, different positions in life. And there's many different things about us. But one thing that is the same, that we are all members of one body. And the truth is, we are never doing better than the most carnal Christian. We are never more spiritual as a body than the one who is lagging behind. 
So that is why it's so important for us to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to be there for one another, because I might be very spiritual. I might be trying to live my Christian life and walk my Christian walk. But as a body, as a church, I have to be concerned about everybody else. It doesn't mean that I have to be the Holy Spirit and knock on your door and make sure, you know, monitor what you're watching and what you're listening to. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is that we ought to, as a body of Christ, we all must be concerned about one another. That is what Corinthians is all about. This book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote, is a rebuke and it's an encouragement for believers who have become carnal. And because that is so uh, relevant to what we are living through today, I believe that this is going to be very helpful. And I pray you'll be encouraged by the time you leave this place. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and starting with verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Everybody say saints. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to pause for just a moment to pray. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. And I thank you for people gathered here today. We're praying that your presence and your power would be evident in this service. God, that we would know you and that we would experience you. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, which guides us and leads us. Lord, let us turn our eyes back to you today. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. amen. Let's look at, uh, at part one of this uh, series in Corinthians. And uh, we've, I'm going to title this, Grace and Peace in Perplexity. And let's look at this because what we... Learn about living for God is the same thing that I learned on my junior high, high school team, is that there's one track to run around, there is one field that we were all running around together, but there were many different ways that people were running. Some of those guys were able to run very quickly. Some of them, like me, were not able to run very quickly. And so there, there is one race to run, but there are many ways to run that race. Let me just say this morning, this is also true for us as believers. That we all have the same starting point. Maybe you've seen pictures or video of uh, some of these marathons that happen around the world. The biggest, one of the biggest is that Boston Marathon that happens every year. And you have thousands of people that gather to run this incredibly difficult marathon. And how many know they all start at one starting line? They all start at one point, the same point. They all start at the same moment when the gun goes off and they begin running. But how many understand that some of them run better races than others? 
Not every runner runs the same. There is a winner to the race, and there are losers. They say second place is the first loser. But what I'm saying is, in the same way, every Christian, we are called to run a race. And we cannot deny this morning that some people will run this race better than others. We are not here this morning to become judge and jury. We're not here to examine everybody's lives. We are here this morning to focus, how am I running this race? How am I doing in the race that God has set before me? We all start at the same point, which is at Calvary, which is where we meet the Lord. We meet at the cross of Jesus. That is our starting point. We bow our knee at an altar we confess our sins, we repent, and we turn in faith to Jesus, right? That's where we all got started. And if you haven't done that, you can start today. But from that starting point, how many know some people can jump off of that line and can run with integrity, can run with strength and power like some of those Ethiopian guys in the Boston Marathon, right? And they can run that thing and finish it in, in the time that, some of them only make it a quarter mile, you know? Beyond the starting point, there are many deviations that can take place. And so this is what has happened in this church in the city of Corinth, this ancient city that Paul is writing to. See, Paul has been preaching and teaching and planting churches in all these various cities around Asia Minor. He has started various churches, and he's been very successful at this. And he was able to observe this same truth, that he started churches in Galatia. He started church in Rome. He's, he was there at the beginning of the church in Antioch, in various cities around uh, that area. And he was able to observe from a distance how this church would do, and that church, and this group of people, and how these ones are thriving, and oh, wow, that church in Macedonia, you wouldn't believe how well they're doing. And, 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 and then he was also able to observe that some churches began to slow down on this race. They began to lag behind, and this was the problem in the church of Corinth. And the reason or they're lagging, is the same reason why Christians begin to lag in 2020. Do you want to know what that reason is? That reason is called, according to the Bible, carnality, or living according to the flesh. When you read about carnal Christians, that word carnal, it has the idea of meat. In fact, carne, like uh, in, in uh, Spanish language, you can... Uh, one of my favorite things is carne asada, right? And what that is, is a meat that is prepared in a certain way. So that same idea, it is people who are living according to the desires of their flesh. Everybody with me so far? So carnal living is what slows us down in this race called Christianity. The early chapters of this book in, of Corinthians is directed toward believers who are living by the flesh. So the first thing I want you to notice here this morning 
is that it is possible to be a Christian and still be carnal. It is possible to be saved and on your way to heaven and yet not be running as well as you want. Paul described this great difficulty, didn't he, in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know what this is like, guys. I know that there is a part of you, it's the Spirit of God which dwells in you, that wants to run for God, right? But he says, I also recognize in my body there's a part of me that doesn't want to run for God. Do you recognize that this morning? You know which part of that is in you today? It's the part of you that wanted to stay in bed this morning instead of go to church. It's the part of you that said, I'd rather go to work today and make a few bucks rather than worship God, right? It's the part of you that says, I'd rather do something that comforts and pleases my flesh rather than serving the living God. See, that is still alive in you. And this is what the book of Corinthians is especially good at where Paul begins to confront carnal believers. See, it's easy to become a carnal Christian. This is the path of least resistance, isn't it? It's the easy way to live. And this letter is directed at believers who are living carnally. So let me just give you a little bit of context because it's important before we examine the scripture and we'll get out of here. This city of Corinth that he was writing to was very famous in its day. It was a center for Greek commerce. It was located on a seaport. It was a proud and wealthy city. Uh, it had the reputation of being a vanity fair of the Roman Empire. It was high living. There was plenty of wealth. There was plenty of resources. Uh, but these Greeks who lived in the city of Corinth were notorious for being shallow, for having uh, only uh, uh, desires that were skin deep. In other words, uh, they would argue just for the sake of arguing. They were proud of their uh, worldly wisdom. They thought they knew everything, many things we could say about them. But if you've studied history, and especially this city, you will know that there was even a word dedicated to the word Corinthians. In other words, you, uh, that word became a, a synonym with loose living. They would say, oh, you're just Corinthianizing. And that meant, in the day, it meant that you were living immorally. This city is a picture of our Western culture as it is right now. It was soaked and saturated with sexual sin. It was filled with false and pagan worship, uh, reminding you of any place you might live in today. That the Western world and the Western culture has now become very similar to the Corinthian culture of the day. That's why this is such a powerful and helpful letter to us. And even though that this city had fallen into such depravity, Paul had planted the seed of the gospel there. This church in Corinth, uh, he had visited three times. In fact, he, uh, he was there for 18 months, according to Acts chapter 18. And then again in Acts chapter 20, he visited, visited this church 
for a third time. And so he was very much connected to these believers. He saw them as his spiritual children. And just like a father who cares about his children, he desired for them to grow and to be blessed and to thrive in the Lord. And he received news. In fact, he received a letter from the elders of the church in Corinth. And it's interesting because what's happening in their church is not what's coming through in their letter. They wrote a letter to Paul asking him some deep doctrinal and theological questions. Paul, please explain to us the theology of this, that, and the other. And what Paul understands as a good pastor, he understands that there's always a problem behind the problem. I've discovered this, that when people come and ask me a question, that many times what the, the information they're looking for is not what they're asking about. It's the problem behind the problem. And so Paul is a good pastor that he figures out pretty quickly that this is not about a doctrinal or a theological uh, question, but that there are some deep problems in the church that we're going to learn about in future weeks. They are not theological problems. They are practical problems. The church in Corinth was messy. It was messed up. You know why? Because people were sinning. People were living in sexual sin that was, uh, that was abhorrent. There was a problem behind the problem. And so, in this book, the first 11 chapters are dealing with carnality. He exposes that they have been living in sin. They have allowed themselves to become worldly. And now they started the race well. Man, they were running for the first lap. But you know what? They have slowed down. There have been some things that have caused them to lag behind. So the first 11 chapters are about carnality. And then only in chapter 12 does he begin to answer their questions when it comes to theology. And this is the last five chapters that are very much constructed. Now let's see how Paul begins to deal with the, these carnal believers because I believe this will be very helpful to us today. Are you ready? The first thing that he mentions as he writes to the church in Corinth is he reminds them who he is. He begins this letter by re reminding them of his authority in Christ. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Why is this important? It is important to remind us that God will speak to us through imperfect human vessels. Have you figured that out already? Sometimes we wish that we would hear God's message, you know, transmitted through the sky or written in the clouds or wish that we would wake up hearing an audible voice as we're laying in our beds, right? You, wi you wish that God would kind of talk to you in that way. But normally, the way that God deals with you and the way that God corrects us is through human authority. This is the way God has designed his church. This is why it's important to be a part of a local body of believers. It is through the church that we have authority that God uses to help us. 
Paul is reminding them, look, I'm not here to boss you around. I'm here because God has made me who I am. I am doing the will of God. So that's important for them to to remember. Second thing, he reminds them who they are. Now, this is powerful. He reminds them who they are in verse 2, which says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. This is powerful. You know why this is so powerful? It's because if you understand what is happening in the church at this moment, you will be surprised that he calls them saints, called to be sanctified. He's writing to them, and he is calling them something that they are not presently doing. You know what I'm saying? And this, beloved, this is what is so powerful about the gospel, is that God calls us what we have not yet become. How many of you woke up this morning saying, I feel like a saint today? If you did, I would love to talk to you after the service, because I know I sure didn't. When I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see a saint. I don't see someone who is holy and set apart. I see all of my flaws and my problems and my addictions and my failures. I see all of those things that hinder me. But how many understand when God looks at us through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he sees what we are becoming not what we presently are. And that is important for you and I to remember that when God looks at the potter's house in Virginia Beach, he is not seeing a group of former sinners. Even though that's the truth, that's what we are. But he sees more than that. Through the gospel, God sees what we could become. Did you know the moment you got saved, according to the word of God, At that moment, with all of your failures, imperfections, flaws, addictions, and failures, all of those things, God said, there's a saint right there. Not a New Orleans saint, but a saint, a holy one. You know what it means to be a saint? It means someone who is sanctified, same word, someone who is set apart, someone who is holy. We sang it in our worship set this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What God is doing, the work of salvation is pulling us out of the mud, out of the pit of our sins, and he is making holy people. Now, obviously, this is a process, right? It doesn't all happen in one day doesn't all happen in one month or one year or in one decade, but it doesn't change the position that the Bible gives you as someone who is saved, saved from sin. God calls you a saint, someone who is holy, someone who is set apart. That word holy, it means different from the rest. It means special and set apart. It has the idea, maybe some of you uh, women at, at your house, you have a special set of china dishes that are uh, more expensive than the plastic throwaway things that you normally use every day. You know what I'm saying? 
And only when special people would come over for dinner, you're entertaining or family's coming for Thanksgiving. And that's the only time. And until then, they are set apart on the top shelf so that little kids don't get their fingers on them because those are, that's the good stuff. Can I tell you, that's what God sees when he looks at his church. He is seeing those who have been set apart, reserved for God's holy purposes. And even though the church in Corinth, and in many cases, the church in 2020 here in the United States, in many cases, we are living like the plastic. We are living like the throwaway stuff. But God says, hold on a second. I never called you to be the throwaway every day like the rest of the world. I called you to be holy, to live a higher life, to live a different set of standards. Yes, we are in this world, but we are not to be of this world. That's what it means to be holy. And that's why Paul says of this church who is not living right, he says, remember who you are, guys. Remember who you are in Christ, that God has called you to a life of holiness. That is powerful this morning, because when you realize what God is calling you to, then you will also realize that God never called you to something that was impossible. Listen careful. Sometimes it's easy for us, and I can remember as a new convert, under, you know, reading those scriptures that say, be holy, for I am holy, I am the Lord your God, right? And being so frustrated by that because I know that I'm not holy. God, how can you ask me to do something that I know that I can't do? And what I didn't realize then is that when God calls you to holiness, he doesn't leave you to do it on your own. He will send the Holy Spirit, not just any spirit, the Holy Spirit to live in you, to live through you, to equip you to be holy. And so we have no excuse, do we? If we say that we are saved, if we say that we have been planted in this faith, that the fruit of that tree is holiness. It is not enough for you to say, I prayed at an altar 10 years ago, and so I'm on my way to heaven. Wonderful, that's great. I'm glad you had a religious experience. A lot of people have that experience, don't they? But it doesn't mean that that seed of the gospel has truly been rooted, grounded, and has brought forth the fruit of holiness. That's why Paul is writing this letter. He says, guys, I know that you can live differently. And the fact that you are not living right does not give me an excuse. So what is the answer? The answer to low living or carnal living that was happening there in the city of Corinth, Paul gives us two wonderful solutions that I want to leave with you as we close this morning. And that is in verse 3 of our scripture. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to say those two words out loud. Are you ready? Grace and peace. Now, if you'll get this, it'll transform you. It'll transform the way you see God, 
and the way that you see yourself. So before Paul, before he goes into the long discussion about how wicked they're living, he very easily could have, right? He very easily could have said, why are you living like this? He could have called them out. And later, we know, he will call them out. He will deal with their sin. If you read the rest of this, uh, this book, you will, you will know Paul does not hold back from correcting them. However, the very first thing that he says, grace and peace to you. Remember who I am. Now, remember who you are in Christ so that you can experience grace and peace. Let's dig just a little bit to understand grace and peace. So here he is calling out to them. You guys, I know you are God's holy people called to be set apart. And the first thing that he reminds them of is the grace of God. How do you define the word grace? Some people might say the undeserved loving kindness of God. Which, yes, I believe that that is included in the word grace. But I think that there is so much more. As Paul says it here, he says, grace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, grace is a shorthand version of everything that God has provided to us. Why are you alive today? God's grace. Why did you get out of your bed and some people didn't? God's grace. Why do you have an understanding of the gospel when many people don't? God's grace. It's your salvation started with the grace. Did you know God doesn't have to save anybody? <laughs> His salvation, he doesn't owe us anything. He created us, gave us a perfect chance to live for him. Guess what? Person number one couldn't do it. He could have at that point squashed humanity and he would have been right. He said, all of these other animals, they're doing what I told them to do. But this animal, this human being, disobeyed me first chance he had. He would have been right to judge Adam and Eve in the garden and not allow them to continue. But from that day and for every day since, God's grace. Every good thing in your life. God's grace. Every blessing with which you have been blessed. God's grace. Every dollar in your bank account. God's grace. Every experience of love and compassion that you have in this life. God's grace. It's what you don't deserve, but you got anyway. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. The gospel, which is good news to us, it is his grace. One uh, pastor said it like this. There is grace to make me like the master. Grace to give me triumph when I otherwise would fail. Grace to make me patient where I would be impatient. Grace to enable me to glorify the Lord Jesus in every situation. That's what grace is. It's his life. It's his character and his spirit. The second solution that Paul gives to a carnal church is the word peace. Now, when you hear the word peace, do not think laziness or inactivity. 
Don't think about the sea of glass at the lake sitting in a rocking chair. That is peaceful, but that's not the peace which Paul is speaking about. The peace that Paul is speaking about is the lack of enmity with God. In other words, we all came into this world being God's enemies. Everybody got that? You came in this world with a default setting against God. You came in as a child of the devil, working against God and everything that God did for you. And because we were all sinners, the Bible says that the carnal life, the carnal mind is enmity with God. So when we live according to the flesh, when we do not live according to the spirit, there is friction. How many experience that? When you disobey the Lord, when you don't do what you know is right, how many feel there's that that friction with God, that separation from God? It's just like when your children disobey your word. If you have kids, you know that that causes friction in your house, doesn't it? When your children are disobedient and when they're disrespectful and when they're calling each other names and fighting. No, this never happens in the Dragoon household, of course. But there's friction. There is enmity. But what Paul is saying is that through the gospel, we can find peace with God. Peace with God. That means at the cross, let me close with this final thought. Think, just imagine with me. Bring your, your attention back to the cross of Jesus Christ for just a moment. Jesus was the most perfect human being who ever lived. He lived completely moral. He never disobeyed his father. Did he? He was perfectly obedient. And so what did he get as a result of this perfect life on earth? He was rejected by men. He was cursed and mocked and spit upon. And he was cast out of the city, forced to carry his cross to Golgotha. We call that the greatest injustice in all of history. Because the best human being, the best possible human being, received the worst possible treatment. So if you think you've been mistreated, Jesus knows how you feel. Because he experienced the greatest injustice in all of history. He lived perfectly for God, and what did he get? God's condemnation. See, at the cross, what is happening is the worst kind of friction that Jesus could ever experience. He was experiencing separation from his Father. Do you know why that is so tragic? Because Jesus had never been separated from his Father previously. After that moment, for eternity future, he will never again be separated from his Father. But for one critical moment, for one painful and tragic moment of Jesus' life, he cries out, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he felt at that moment the weight of the sins of all of the universe on his shoulders and his, he was separated from his father. It was a tragic and violent way to go out. And right there, because Jesus experienced violence, you and I can experience peace. 
because through our connection to Christ, all of the violence that God had directed at you because of your sins is redirected onto the cross. That ought to give you reason to say, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Because the wrath of God has been subdued. We call, uh, there's a word, a biblical word that we don't use in our modern language. It's the word propitiation. Ever heard of that one? That Jesus is himself our propitiation. And that's exactly what it means. It means that the wrath of God that was reserved for your condemnation has been redirected to the cross. He is our propitiation. That's why you and I can have peace. Not because you have a perfect life, not because you have it all together. In fact, we're far from it. God's still working on us. But the point of this solution that Paul gives to a church that is carnal, he says, listen, I know you can live higher. You know why? Because of God's grace and because of God's peace. My challenge for you today see we think that we can live better if we just beat ourselves up a little bit more or uh, you know I just have to try a little harder so I can be a better Christian actually what it's really about is surrendering more it's about less of me God and more of you because when I get myself out of the picture and I let you live through me that's when I find grace and peace. You can have that grace and peace today. Before you leave this place, God can do a miracle in your soul. You don't have to live like that church in Corinth. You don't have to give in to all the carnal desires that pull your chains. You can be set free, beloved. And when we are set free, that is when we find what the Bible calls fellowship. Fellowship with God and with people. The word in the Greek, koinonia, it's communion. It's togetherness. We find oneness with God. It is not just a partnership. It is not just a friendship. But what we find is community within God's holy trinity. Mind-blowing. So I want to encourage you today, less of me, more of you. God, you've called me to be more, so help me experience your grace and peace. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes. Aren't you grateful for the gospel today? Aren't you grateful for what he is doing in our lives? For what he has done for us at the cross? No matter how many times we talk about it, how many times we examine it, we are reminded again and again of the glory of this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here today and pause for just a moment to reflect on our own spiritual condition of our hearts. Maybe you're here this morning, you come into this service, and I, I don't believe in accidents or coincidence. I believe God has brought you here. Because he wants to speak to you, he wants to change you, he wants to save you. We say, we say that we Christians, we, we have this verbiage that we say, I'm saved. How long have you been saved? 
And there's some confusion. What I want to ask about is what are we saved from? Yes, of course, we are saved from our sins. Yes, of course, we are saved from the future of an eternity separated from God that nobody wants to think about. But the principal thing that we are getting saved from is what I mentioned earlier, is actually God's wrath, His condemnation. The truth is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is nobody sitting in this room today who deserves God's salvation, His mercy, what Christ did for us on the cross. Nobody here can live a good enough life to deserve that. And the Bible even says that even the best we could possibly do is like filthy rags with God. It's not impressive to Him. And what we have to do this morning is instead of trying to just, I'm going to do better, Pastor. I'm going to do more things. I'm going to live for God. It's great to have that motivation. But what we really need is a greater surrender. I want to get out of this picture I want to let you, Lord, live through me. Maybe you're here today, and the honest truth is you're not living for God. You're not right with God. You know that you're living in rebellion against a holy God. And the only, the only uh, uh, thing that a, someone can do with that understanding is to say, God, can you show me grace and peace? And here's the promise, the surprising promise that the Bible gives. That if you will repent of sin, put your trust in Jesus, that God will hear your prayer. What a miracle. And that he will forgive your sins, and that he will restore you to a righteous relationship with him. I wonder if there's somebody here who's not right with God. You're living in sin. Perhaps you're backslidden. There's a time that you were living for God, but you've become so carnal that you've lost the way. You're like that prodigal son living in the far country. And you say, Pastor, today today is the day I need to come home. I need to get my heart right. I want to repent. I want to turn from my sins. So as we pause for just a moment, if that's you, if God is speaking to you right now, I would love for you to just lift up your hand and recognize that. I want to pray with you without anybody looking around for just a moment. Is that you quickly unsaved or backslidden? Anyone in this place? God brought you here because he wants to save you. This gospel is good news for those who will embrace it. If that's you, lift up your hand. I would love to pray with anyone here. Quickly, quickly this morning as God deals with our hearts. Anyone at all right now. Then let me speak to God's people. Let me remind you who you are. No matter where you are in, in terms of morality, in terms of obedience with God, Everyone here, no doubt, running a different pace on this racetrack of life. No doubt some of you are in a place that's good. You're, you're walking in obedience with the Lord. You're doing well. But no doubt every single one of us have places of disobedience and brokenness in our lives. Places where we could run better. Or perhaps you're here today... I, and you're confident, yes, I know that I'm a Christian, yes, I know that I've gotten saved, but reality is, I'm living carnally. I'm living according to this world's standards. God, I want to be better. 
better does not come by trying harder. It comes through surrender and repentance. And so today, if that describes you, what we're going to do together in this place, we're going to stand to our feet, we're going to worship God together in this place. But uh, if you would stand with me this morning, we want to open up this altar for prayer. We want to make this a place. We can come together at this altar. We can remain uh, distanced away from each other. But if you want to find a place of prayer, this is an opportunity that we have to surrender our lives to a holy God so that he can help make us holy. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to come before the Lord as we sing this song of worship. If God is dealing with you, I would encourage you to come forward to this altar as we pray and as we seek God for just a few moments this morning. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.